to Let's Pod This. My name is Andy Moore. I'm here with my co-host, the ever-smiley, pleasant, and likable Scott Melson. Now, see, it sounds like I put you up to that. No, it didn't. You weren't even paying attention when I was saying that, so. What are you talking about? Well, I mean, the first part, at least. <laughs> you're also, you're, you're many things. Those are just three adjectives that I chose at random tonight. God bless you. So I, try, I, mean, I, try to, I try to be a positive guy. You, I think you succeed. I think you are a positive guy. It's hard sometimes. I put, I put that out on Twitter today that, like, I think I had some, some uh, post about, like, if you just are continuing to be horrified at all the news coming in from all corners of the world. Yeah. Like, go listen to James Taylor's Holiday Station on Pandora. Right. Yeah, It'll I, make you feel better. I had that same uh, conversation today that it's, lately, it's just really difficult. And around noon today, I was, I was talking to somebody and was just thinking, like, I kind of feel detached from what's going on in our world. And, you know, we've got a, a second special session, an extra, extraordinary session coming up. And I'm while I, I'm really anxious for it to be done and over with, and hopefully they fix a few things, I'm also grateful for a few days of respite so that we're not just slammed every day with, like, trying to listen to what's happening up there. No, yeah, I feel like, you know, like, especially before Thanksgiving, there were a couple, <laughs> there were some nights I, I went to sleep, like, dreaming of, like, Twitter scrolling, like, across <laughs> my eyes. Like, it's it has been nice to not feel like I have to be you know, attached to my phone and attached to alerts for at least a couple of weeks, you know, like, yeah, we ended special session, I think in a pretty terrible place, but it's nice to know that it was not actively getting more terrible, like by the day, at least for the last two weeks. Right. Fair enough. Like we're in a, we're in a, we're in a terrible, but stable place. Right. At least until the next session, special session right. starts. It's stably terrible. Right. right. It's unchanged in its, in its terribleness. Yeah. Well, and I just, uh, I was just, at the Capitol a little while ago, um, tomorrow, December 1st, is World AIDS Day, and that's the line of healthcare in which I work. And so the governor, uh, we we requested that she sign a proclamation uh, identifying tomorrow's World AIDS Day. For Oklahoma, she did it last year, she did it again this year. And so I got to attend um, the her giving us the proclamation, and it was a photo op, right? And that was really the first time I've ever, I think I may have um, shaken her hand, shook her hand, shooken, shaken. Not stirred. One of those. Um, I think I've, I've met her once previously just in passing at another event. Uh, but today we had an opportunity to sit and talk to her for a few minutes. And the governor and I don't necessarily agree on policy all the time, but she is very affable when it's just her. I'm kind of getting to talk to you. And so it was nice to hear some personal stories. And she made a few comments about like how long the session has gone on. Just of like, she's really busy. This has been a really busy year. These, you know, the world full of all these sexual harassment allegations and the special session that's lasted a year, she said it feels like, and we kind of all chuckled and then winced that, like, all of this is true. Yeah, and that there's yet another one coming. And and the thing is, is we're going to be, rumor is anyway, that the second extraordinary session is actually not going to start until after the first of the year. That's so, what I've heard, too. So it's going to be in January, while the... The regular session of the legislature is mandated constitutionally to start on, I think, the first... Is it the first Monday in February or the second? First, I think. I think it's the first Monday in February is when it's mandated to start. So, you know, assuming that they don't start, I think I think New Year's Day is actually, like, a Monday. Like, this is the holiday. Okay. So, assuming they don't yeah. start the next day, then they're going to have, what, three and a half weeks? Mm-hmm. 
ish. I yeah, to, to conduct this next special session. Now, special sessions and regular sessions can run concurrently, right? But, but they both have to end by the end of next May, right? So, and that means you could have called a special session concurrent with this last one, but didn't. Obviously, I yeah. So I've heard the same thing. I've heard that it, they may not start it until January, which. The reason for that is to give everyone some time to kind of uh, get a plan together, right? Um, it seems, you know, there's been a few executive orders that have come out, and we'll talk about those in just a minute. But the other piece that people have talked about is that the, some of those executive orders might be an attempt to curry favor or try to win over five more votes in the House. And I don't know that she can get them. I don't know that there's there are five votes to get, but if if five more turn green, there'd be five that would happily not vote green. Right. The, the other thing, and I, you know, I understand the logic behind waiting until January, like a cooling off period, give people time to come up with a plan. But every every day that we don't do something, the fiscal impact of these measures we're looking at gets lessened. Right. Right. Like the number, the amount of money that you can collect from a tobacco tax or an increase in GPT or whatever whatever the revenue is. Every day that that law is not on the books is a day that that revenue is lost. Right. And so, I mean, I feel like there's definitely a sense of ur- like there, it seems that there's just there should be a sense of urgency. There should be here. Yeah. You know? Like well, and you know, uh, as an example, the cigarette tax originally was going to raise two hundred and fifteen million. By the time it came around to the first special session, because it was ruled unconstitutional, it was down to like one hundred and eighty million. And now it's down to like, oh, wait, less than half. So we're down yeah. like maybe a hundred million. We get yeah. out of it. Yeah. And so we've just had a few months of, of money that we could have collected not being collected. That's the way it goes. Right. Right. Can um, I uh, take a moment of personal privilege? Absolutely. Uh, and say I appreciate you. We've listeners. We've been recording in Scott's dining room, but now we're in the upper room. Which is oh nice. <laughs> we should biblical reference. We, should, we, uh, we need to call it that from now on. That's right. Uh, We're here in the upper room. In the upper room, recording. Scott has set up a a very nice ad hoc studio. This is where we recorded our very first podcast. But back then, we used your guitar case as a table. It's true. Uh, and this, we actually have a table up here. Scott has a cushy chair, and I have a metal folding chair, which is fine. Um, but it pops a little bit when I shift my weight. So if you hear a weird metal poing sound. That's just my chair. Well, I mean, hopefully. I'll bring a pillow next time. Hopefully it's just your chair. It's just my chair. You can um, re- read Twitter. Apparently a lot of things been going poing. Whoa. All right. <laughs> I was thinking of the Ikea poing chairs, but I see where you went with that. It's not untrue, I guess. God, Matt Lauer? Are you serious? Yeah. It's our broken... And, you know, on, in actual relevant state news, um, oh, former yeah. state senator... Yeah. Ralph Shorty uh, today pled guilty to child sex trafficking, which carries a mandatory minimum sentence of 10 years. We haven't discussed all the scandals this year in the legislature, and that's fine with me. We all can read about them, but um, this is, uh, that was, you know, front page news there. So, sad, really upsetting story. I mean, it's just, you know, I think there's... You know, there's all this, there's a lot of discussion, obviously, on, you know, social media and in the news of every format of kind of where we, um, where we are in society right now. And like, does this represent a turning point? And if so, like, what's kind of the next step? But it's just, 
man, it's just like every time you turn around, you know what I mean? And people like, I don't know if it's because I'm oblivious just generally, or if I'm, I'm oblivious because I'm a man or I don't, I don't know. But like, it's just, I feel like I shouldn't be shocked anymore, but every time the, the next, you know, every time there's a new allegation, every time it's, you know, someone else that I, you know, wouldn't, wouldn't have thought it's just a little bit, it just beats me down a little bit more. Yeah. It, like, man, it's, the world is, it's really this bad. And apparently it's been this bad for a lot of people for a long time. Things are getting worse. Things, there's just one, one little crawl at the bottom of all the news channels yeah. to say things are getting worse. But hey, let's, uh, let's be positive here. There are actually, we had a meeting yesterday, you and I, there are some positive things in the works in our state. Some people that are trying to come up with solutions that aren't being tossed around. And we'll have more on that in the future. Absolutely. Um, so we're also starting to see some plans, I think, from candidates for governor. Uh, Drew Edmondson, the one of the Democratic candidates, I guess it's just him and Connie Johnson since Inman's out. Is there anybody yep. else? No, that's it. I got a, a fundraising call from Connie Johnson the other day, and we had a nice chat. I don't think she knows who I am. Um, right. And, but I held, kept her on the phone. for. I made her earn her time. I didn't donate because it's too early to throw my money behind anybody, and I don't. Sure. I don't know which party or which person I'm even going to support right now. Absolutely. Um, but it was, it was. I thought I got a big kick out of it. I, I get a big kick out of. How long did you keep Connie on the phone? A solid seventeen minutes. That's awesome. Um, I get That's a big awesome. kick out of drawing out those salesy calls, whether it's for political donations or someone trying to sell me long distance service or shoes or cookware, whatever. Sure. Um, I've read enough of those little lists of like how to keep them on the phone that it's like, is this Debbie? Are you down in? Where are you, New Jersey? You know, I'm from whatever, and then you just start talking, and they're they don't they're trying to be nice, but they also trying to get off the phone. Anyway, that's probably mean of me. All right, I, I, th- I think it's hilarious. But I so I saw that. Um, thank you, uh, Drew Edmondson and uh, Todd Lamb. And Todd Lamb too, yeah. has a, a ethics thing that he put out. So we're starting to finally, as we inch closer towards uh, towards that big election next year, candidates are starting to put out some plans, which is they're all. His plan is called like the Reform OK plan. Yeah, it's supposed to be like an ethics. Inman's ethics thing plan. was the Restore OK. I mean, there's everyone's got a, a thing. Um, Mick, Mayor Mick uh, Cornett's his is a let's fix. No, Gary Johnson. That's Gary Johnson was let's fix let's OK. Fix, okay. Um, Not let's fix this. Right, that's us. Um, but Mix has fixed in it as well, and so it's like okay, we've all got a. I guess that's a thing everyone needs. Um, so that we. But the problem is that for most voters. We don't. We're not going to remember the person's name and the name of their plan. Just call it like the Johnson plan or the Lamb plan. Right. Exactly. That's I did. Did you helpful. did you read Lamb's plan? Um. I no. I, a little bit. I saw some photos of it. I have it pulled up here. My personal favorite of his suggestions was enforce the rule prohibiting alcohol consumption at the Capitol. Oh yeah. So apparently they're all just like boozing it up. Well, uh, yeah. So I've heard that too. <laughs> when, they, when they're not on the floor, yeah. which is against the rules, but you know, whatever. He's His plan is not bad. I mean, some of the parts of it that I've read, it is smart. I'll say it this way, that like the very first thing is uh, any legislator who resigns before the end of their term will have to give up their state retirement and they will have to pay for the or until the cost of the special election um, is repaid to the state. So basically, you don't get retirement unless you pay us back for us having to elect somebody else. And in a year where we've had nine, yeah, nine or ten, is it ten? Ten. Well, one of them was someone yeah. who uh, passed away, but I think nine resignations. Some of them because they got new jobs, some for other reasons. Um, but that's interesting. There's you know exceptions for personal situations or uh, health crises, that kind of thing, military situations. 
Um, and so that was a, a kind of an interesting thing. And then, like, I mean, the main the main part of uh, Drew's plan, Evanson's plan, is uh, to create an it's a new executive agency, right? That is whose sole responsibility is to enforce government transparency laws. Right. I think there's like is the main is kind of the thrust of his proposal. Yeah. Well, it, the other thing is um, there's part of his plan is a rule that most boards have, and that's if you miss for him, it's if you miss forty percent of the floor votes then you could be kicked out, which is kind of forcing folks to be there, which I think as voters we all appreciate. If you've spent any time at the Capitol, you recognize that not all floor votes are like on actual bills. Some are just measures. and right. So I don't know if they're just counting bills, but I thought that was interesting. I'm okay with it. There's yeah. and, there's, and there's a shocking number of people who are not present for any number of Including votes. the speaker. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> um, so... Uh, also requiring statewide or not statewide but requiring sexual harassment training which I think that they're actually doing already I read that the house is doing some training I mean if you work at any company of any size um, you have to have to do those every year you probably do too oh yeah Um, and I don't know that those actually change behavior although with the way things are right now I bet everyone's paying a little closer attention to to those trainings. So it's interesting. I actually read an, an article and listened to an interview, interview about this. So there's actually some, apparently some pretty good data that the training as it is done by most large employers, and I would assume the state of Oklahoma counts there, mm-hmm. um, is stunningly ineffective. So like video and like self, you know, paced learning modules mm-hmm. actually are very ineffective. Mm-hmm. But what does work is good training done by an HR professional who's right. kind of who has experience and um, instruction in really kind of some evidence-based techniques. I right. think that like role play is often like involved. So right. there, there is sexual harassment training that's very effective, but that training is employed by very few people. Because it's expensive and, and time-consuming. Time right. It costs, it costs a lot of money. Yeah. Like in my employer, there's 4,000 people that work there. The idea of trying to train everybody once a year, I mean, it's a real... You know, hardship to get everyone's like tuberculosis tests every other year, and, right? You know, I guess it's every year for that. Yeah. But, um, so interesting. We'll see. Um, also, uh, Lamb's plan calls for a cooling off period, following for all elected officials and agency directors, um, legislators, everything else, after they're in office or after their position changes. Basically, you can't become a lobbyist right after your job. Um, which they they debated, like the Ethics Commission debated this earlier this year and right. talked about a cooling off period that was a little bit longer, I think. Yeah. And I mean, and there was just outcry well, because, from people about this. Yeah, because that one wasn't, it was for all state employees. This one is just for like elected officials and agency heads. So if some, you know, like let's say um, a social worker from DHS that makes 32000 left and became the government affairs liaison for some small nonprofit and they have to register as a lobbyist the other the previously discussed one would prevent them from having that job when they're not they're not what we you and I or right. most listeners would probably consider like one of those guys like one of those right. lobbyists as opposed to you served out your 12 years in the house and senate finished as chairman of the committee on appropriations and budget that wouldn't bring a bill to increase the gross production tax and then you took up a board position with a big energy company, company for a quarter right. million dollars a year. Yeah. So um, does that sound sketchy at all? <laughs> a little no. bit. No. 
Hello, anyone? Bueller? <laughs> Bueller? Um, also, the elimination of the state legislative vehicle license tags. Um, yeah, I thought, that, I thought that was funny, too. That's in there with the conduct and no drinking in the Capitol. I've heard, I've heard that referred to as the no speeding ticket. Right, the yeah. No spe- the no speeding ticket tag. Get out of tickets free. And then, of course, our old, our, our old buddy Phil, Phil Cross said that one of his apparently favorite things to do is when he knows there's a, a, a big party going down that no one wants to admit they're at, he just likes to cruise by the venue and uh, look at all the, the license, license plates right. and see, see how many of our elected officials are there. I had friends in college that um, would, you know, park around the corner or at a different business when they because I went to a university where you weren't allowed to drink and people drank and but you'd go no you know, people, no it happened at a at a Christian university. Hey, believe it or not, Scott, it's true. They probably danced too, didn't they? There was not much dancing. <laughs> not much, not, not much I, dancing. Not that I saw, but I didn't. I wasn't always invited to those parties. Um, that's the problem with being a nerd. Sometimes you don't get in, invited to the fun parties. Um, so, what you know that um, the license plate thing reminds me. There was the Oklahoman also has a story today about the most frequent locations for parking tickets in downtown Oklahoma City. And I, and I was looking and I said, it's got to be the north side of Leadership Square. And sure enough, that stretch of um, uh, um, Robert S. Kerr yeah. and Park Street as well, which is the right. south side of, of Leadership Square. And I, I use a bank over there, and so yeah. I'll run in. Plus, like, the bagel shop is there. Yeah. Um, downtown OKC is Absolutely. in there. And I go to their office sometimes to you know pick up stuff. And they said, like, there's a lot of folks that have two-minute business over here, but the shortest you can buy is a 30-minute parking thing for like so they just don't pay the meter right out. i mean there's plenty of times that i pull up and i'm like i want to run inside and i get caught every time and they and it, sure enough those were the places that had the highest number of tickets for like expired meters or no no parking permits so yeah there's also the ones and now i i'm i'm like i'm i'm a paranoid rule follower a paranoid rule follower but where i skimp is the uh no more than two hours like how do they know how long i've been parked there they mark your tire. Yeah, I break that rule all the time. Do you really? Never got a ticket. So I've got a ticket for that too. Not one time. I've watched them mark my tire. Like they usually mark it when it's at some point, and then they come back in two hours. If you can see them marking tires, and they drive off, you know you've probably got two hours before they come back around, right? Um, but there's been plenty of times that my ticket's been expired for ten minutes, and I got a ticket, and I bought the I buy the full two hours every single time. And if I'm leaving, I just give my thing to somebody else. Well, now, I, so I'm talking about spots that are not metered. They're oh, not, just the two-hour parking. They're not metered, but they have a sign posted. Right. Two-hour parking limit. Right. That's where I push the envelope. But even the metered ones are two-hour spots. Some are right. one hours. But you press the limit all the time, huh? I don't press the if, if there's a meter there, I follow the rule. You're paying the meter. If there's no if there's no meter, I feel like it's kind of the Wild West. It's, it's just... <laughs> One of my coworkers yesterday <laughs> said, "Is it so wrong? I want to live in a world where we can have smartphones and still ride horses." She <laughs> right. felt like cars are a big I hassle. Saw that. that was great. I was like, okay, fair enough. Just yeah, like, man. No, no meter, no problem. Yeah. Well, meter. I don't push the envelope. I, I don't know about the weekend thing. So, is it nights and weekends? Are those free? Cause yeah. So most, so most meters, most metered spots in Oklahoma City that I'm familiar with, anyway, they're free after 6 p.m. Monday through Friday. And then on Saturdays and Sundays and holidays. That's how I operate, and I haven't got tickets during those periods. But the signs are misleading. In Tulsa, I never have a problem finding parking in Tulsa because nobody goes to Tulsa. That's not true. Sorry to both of our Tulsa listeners. The Blue Dome District and um and over there and the whatever it's called the Tulsa no, Arts I know. District. Tulsa, I love Tulsa. Tulsa's great. But it um, 
it, I, I just feel like for the like the entirety of my growing up, I felt like Oklahoma City was like the stepchild to Tulsa. Really? Yeah. Like when I was a kid, it was like all the cool stuff was in Tulsa. And now I feel like Oklahoma City, we've come into our own. So I have to dish on Tulsa a little bit. But you grew up near Tulsa. No, I grew up here. Oh, that's right. You were in Edmond. Yeah. Why did you... It's just different, right? Yeah, it's I, a just different I, vibe. Yeah, I say it's kind of like Fort Worth and Texas that... Or Fort Worth and Dallas, that Dallas is more metropolitan. In some ways, Tulsa is more metropolitan. But I think that is evening out yeah. as we all grow. Yeah. Um, I Did you read about um, Drew Edmondson's proposal yet? Yeah, so I read this. I read the statement, and the main, and that was like six hours ago. So I could be forgetting things, but I think the main the main thrust of it was that there's this there's an ethics commission or not an ethics commission a a new um, gubernatorial office, which the governor is empowered to create a new like office or agency whose sole purpose would be the enforcement of government transparency laws, which we have some on the books in Oklahoma, but they often go unenforced like there was a tweet today from i think was it one of the local reporters i don't want to say who it was because i get it wrong but but basically that you know the governor's office has been sued multiple times by uh, individual journalists um civil liberties organizations for failing to comply with open records requests you know the house is exempt from open records act i think part of drew's proposal is that the legislative bodies would be subject to open records right um it's really kind of focused on government transparency. Interesting. And you know, that's one of the, our topics we've got uh, penciled in for a future episode. Um, and so I'm curious to kind of dig more into that. I know Representative Jason Murphy is a big proponent of open government. So um, it will be interesting to read more about that. So what's happened since we were last in the, I guess we haven't, we haven't been in the upper room since our very first episode, but we took a break last week for thanksgiving did right. you have a nice thanksgiving i had a great thanksgiving we uh i've got some family in mcpherson kansas mm-hmm. if you've never been to mcpherson about 45 minutes northwest of wichita big oil refinery there that's the main employer in the town a lot of wheat farmers mm-hmm. um but nice place so we drove up on my parents and uh drove up on thursday morning hung out with my cousin and her husband and their kids and then uh, came back thursday evening nice we picked up my parents and drove like you know, there's things happening to me lately that I'm like, oh, age is, age is creeping along and showing its ugly head because I'm at that stage in life where my parents are like, oh yeah, well we'll just, you 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 drive, we'll just we'll just ride with you. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like it's like we've, like we've switched. Like not that long ago, it would have been my dad does all the driving when we go places as like a group, or a separate car. But now, we take we take one car and it's like it's on me. Mm. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah. Like, so is now, that now you're the one? Right, right. Like, I feel like that that the, there's kind of like roles are starting to to shift, and it freaks me out a little bit. Yeah, one of my friends was telling me the other day that they drove somewhere, and their dad or grandpa insisted on driving, and it resulted in an accident. Um, and so I was like, well, that's the last time that conversation happens, I would assume. Dude, God bless my father-in-law. I love him to death. Ashley's dad is just fantastic, but he likes to drive, and at night it is terrifying. Sure, like it's it's. It's terrible. I'm to that age now where I would prefer not to drive at night, especially if it's raining. Like, I still will, but I'm, I don't feel incapable. I'm just like, oh, this is enough harder that I don't want to do it. I, I can do it, but it makes me a little uncomfortable. And it takes, it takes too much effort. Right. Just like, you know what? Can, can we just be there by six? Right. I can be in bed by eight uh, or nine. So, um, but yeah. your Thanksgiving, what did you guys do? I uh, stayed here, went to uh, my fiance's family on Thursday, and then did it with my family on Saturday, and then had a Friendsgiving in between. So I ate a lot of turkey and dressing. I got a lot. So today for lunch, I had popcorn. 
Okay, now you know your fiance is like mostly vegetarian. Mm-hmm. I just I've I've never known the answer to this question. What does a vegetarian do on Thanksgiving? Do you eat all sides mm-hmm. and just no main, or is there a vegetarian main that's not turkey? Well, there's there's tofurkey. You can it's tofu, but she doesn't do that. She just usually eats a little bit of turkey. She's not uh, hardcore. Okay, okay, um, all right. I'm not judging. I'm just curious. I, and honestly, I mean, about all the holidays, a bunch of sides is not a bad deal, right? Like dressing, mashed potatoes, Dude. cranberry sauce. If you can cover it green in gravy, beans, right? Right. Just cover it in gravy. Um, Whatever it is. I I roasted some. Uh, I mean, honestly, we don't. It's not like any of us are missing the calories, right? Well, I ate like I was a starting lineman for the 49ers. <laughs> My problem is I eat like that at most meals, <laughs> right? So, and that's why you're in shape and run marathons, and I'm. More rotund. Round as a shape. (laughs) Yes, I like it. Um, So let's talk about the executive orders that came out. All right. So you got them pulled up. Yeah, I do. So the backstory uh, Monday of last week. um, Well, so for anyone who listened to our extra special episode for the extra special session, Governor Fallon vetoed the budget bill that the legislature passed on the last day of special session. Last week, the Monday before Thanksgiving, she held a press conference where she kind of explained her thought process and her reasoning for the veto. She also uh, uh, kind of went into a little bit more depth about calling a, another special session, a second special session. And then she issued three executive orders. And the executive orders um, deal with a couple of things. So the first one is school consolidation, administrative consolidation of schools. Uh, the second one is administrative consolidation of uh, uh, higher education. Uh, administrative consolidation of the college and university system in Oklahoma. And the third executive order that she did was... I don't remember. Can't I think you had them pulled up. I do, but I had to like switch my screen. Oh. Oh, swag. Uh, and the third executive order was uh, directing like agencies, boards, all these sorts of things to spend any funds on what are called the swag items. So this is like, you know, if you go to an informational event, right, you go to a job fair, where you go to a services fair where it's talking about social services available to people in Oklahoma and you get a koozie that has DHS on it or you get a World AIDS Day pin, this is swag stuff we all get. I recently learned that from you. Uh, and, and, And this is basically banning... Uh, government agencies from spending any monies on so-called swag items. Yeah, I, I think that's an interesting one because agencies have got to buy pins for their employees, right? Like every business, yeah, I'm, I'm sure there's someone out there that would argue that agencies don't need to buy pins. People should just buy their own pins, which is, I disagree. I think every, that's fine. You're doing the work, you're getting paid, you can buy them a stinking pin. They're buying pins regardless. When they buy in bulk, the cost for a pin that says DHS is not any more than just a regular big pin. Right? right, right. And so, and I shouldn't say that they can't buy any of it. So the the order specifically says that for executive branch spending on what is terming non-essential items, she's saying that will not exceed ten million dollars annually. Right. Is that- um, for just for the executive, executive branch. branch. So that's all the agencies, though, yeah, right? Yeah, so that's executive branch and executive agency spending on swag will not exceed $10 million. And then um, any request for these things, any um, item that is, the quote is, any item utilized to promote access to services provided by the state or state contractor shall not be prohibited, but these have to be, sub- you got to submit a request for approval mm-hmm. um, to the appropriate 
you know branch of uh, the appropriate uh, OMES um, administrator, right. and then they'll and they'll approve it or not. I'm also curious how it'll work with divisions or agencies that are federally funded because those federal dollars aren't subject to state appropriations; they just flow through. And what if you what if you don't use state money? What if you're using federal money? Right. And then, and the other thing that I wonder about this is, you know, we hear all the time, mostly from our friends um, in the in the kind of the Republican side of the aisle, that government needs to operate like a business, right? You could fix all of our problems if, if government operated like more like a business. Right, um, which I fundamentally disagree with. I, yes, I don't accept. I, I see the sentiment, but I disagree right. with them. Yeah, I don't accept the premise at all. But most businesses that want to be successful advertise in some form or fashion um and and i think one of the things that's kind of misguided about the so-called anti-swag bills is there are services that the state provides that should be utilized right like we're paying for these agencies to exist we're paying for these services to be offered so it makes sense that to get the most bang for our buck as a taxpayer that those services are going to the right people and for people to use them they need to know about them and the way that they're known is through advertising right Right. these koozies and pens and tote bags and you know uh post-it pads this lets people like you know as a as a pediatrician right this lets me know that there's a state agency that's providing a service for children that i may have patient and i may have patients who need that service and this is this is an easy way for me to know that this service exists and for me to promote that service to my patients who might need it. Right. Like it, this is, there's this idea that because it carries the logo, it's just wasted money. And I, I think that's just kind of fundamentally like, that's just not true on its face. Right. I think it's one of those issues that's really easy to get on board with like, Oh yeah, they shouldn't be buying all that stuff and advertising themselves, but that's not necessarily what they're doing. And right. There is a purpose for it. It's not just right. so the employees can have nice pins. In right. fact, the ones they order are not nice pins. Right. Um, so there's that. Also, let's, I think this comes back to the idea that a lot of these issues are, like, to me, direct responses to the more conservative members of the Republican Party, specifically in the House, who have, like, highlighted these time and time again in House debates uh, about spending and, like, there's all this government waste, right? This idea of massive government waste. And that she's trying to say, listen, all right, I'll throw you a bone. We'll limit the swag. We'll look into these things. And my hunch is the part of the the second part of that sentence that we're not seeing is you know we'll we'll do this comma if, if you, you vote, vote for, for the bill right. right. Well, and you know, and I I can you know I again you're right. Like I appreciate the sentiment and I appreciate that it sounds good. But if you just kind of start doing basic math, like let's now I'm full disclosure I'm making up this number because I actually think it's less than ten million dollars a year. But let's just say that this anti-swag executive order saves the state of Oklahoma 10 million a year. Okay. Our budget shortfall, our shortfall for the immediate executives, like for this immediate fiscal year for the year for we're like, in the middle of, yeah, for right now, our shortfall is 200 and $215 million. Right. Okay. So you, you got to find at least 20 things that save us $10 million right. to make up this shortfall. Our projected shortfall for next year is $678 million. So you got to find, you got to find, almost 70 things that save us $10 million to make up that shortfall. And if you look at where we're at as compared to fiscal year 2009, we're down $1.2 billion. Right. Okay. $1.2 billion. So you got to find at least 120 things, 
right? That are going to save us ten million a pop to get to get there, which is improbable. It's it's improbable, and I don't think it's a stretch to say that you could easily spend tens of millions of dollars in studies and audits and time trying to find that $1.2 billion in wasted spending. Right. I totally agree. To say nothing of the fact that I just don't think it exists. Right. I do think that, um, I mean, there are a number of options that are out there, though, right? So the big budget bill, should it come back for a vote, will still require 76 votes. And it still is, it's not impossible, but it is unlikely. But there's a number of other options that are out there that could net us a hundred million here, a hundred million there, and maybe add up a little more quickly than just you know ten million right. at a piece. Right, exactly. There, there are you know a half dozen ways that we can make up this budget shortfall that would be easier, less expensive, and I think more palatable palatable to the public than trying to nickel and dime our way there. And and again, you've got to think like we've cut overall spending forty percent since fiscal year two thousand nine. We're d- adjusted for inflation. We're down forty percent in the last eight years. Um, where, where, what what's left, right? right? Like what's left? Yeah, I mean it's it's going to be. I really like um, uh, the Oklahoma Policy Institute. They've got some of their charts because they show the data over like the last decade. So it it extends the the our view of it and not just be just a year or two, but like let's look at it over time so you can kind of see like what's happened over the last ten years. And uh, so their stuff goes back to fiscal year two thousand eight, which is ten years ago. And so you can still see the dip from the uh, the financial crisis that hit the United States in Oklahoma like a year late. Um, and so there's like the federal stimulus funds were in there. Remember the stimulus package and all that? And we used rainy day fund back then. And it came back up to kind of where it was. And then the last three years, it's dip, dip, dip down. Yeah. Um, with rainy day fund being used in each of those years to make up the difference. Um, and so really like we're... The state, and we said this last year, but the state is living check to check, right? right? And this is, you know, and this we're, we're kind of coming up on because the next executive order has to do with school consolidation. We're going to kind of dig into that even a little bit deeper. But this brings up a point I want to reiterate. When people tell you that state government spending in Oklahoma is at an all-time high, don't believe them. When they say that it continues to go up year after year after year, don't believe them. That's not true. Okay? It's just not true. Which well, le- not which, in a couple of ways. Right. Which leads me to my next point. I think it would be super awesome to get the folks from OK Policy and Oklahoma Policy Institute and the folks from OCPA in the same room and just like... There might be a fist fight. Well, no. It's not like, I'd get like, get like, you know, have you seen like in the, the Dark Knight, the Batman movie, The Dark Knight, mm-hmm. you know, when the Joker, like when he gets those two guys in and he like breaks the pool cue and throws the sticks on the ground and says, we're going to have tryouts. I don't remember that scene, but that made me think of... I kind of want to do that with a Oklahoma policy and OCPA. I was thinking like American Gladiators. Like, I don't know that feats of strength is really the way to go here. That just further devolves us into... I think it'd um, be awesome. I think people would pay to watch that. They would, but it wouldn't... I don't think they'd pay $700 million to watch it. <laughs> Probably not. Hey, how much is it for the teacher pay raise, though? $300 million? Something like that, yeah. $250, million, somewhere there. Uh, T. Boone Pickens is selling his ranch out in the Panhandle of Texas, out near Pampa, Texas, right? It looks like a nice place. Yeah. It's, it's a, two, 250. It looks like a nice place. It's, it's $250 million. million. So I think we should ask Mr. Pickens, like, listen, I know you love this state, and 
once you sell this to some <laughs> other wealthy person, we use the proceeds can to you fund give the us the money because we need the money. Like, um, yeah. Also, uh, George Strait selling his ranch down in the Texas Hill Country. Also a nice place. If only I had a billion dollars, I could just have a summer home and a winter home right. within the state of Texas, and because I, I don't want to live in the Panhandle, not even. And a really nice place under Tampa. I, I don't think you want that to be your winter home either, dude. No, that would be my summer home. That would be your summer home. I don't want to, not there in the summer either. No. Yeah, right? it's, it's, the Panhandle is kind of a miserable place. I was going to say, you spent much time in the Texas Panhandle? It's, I've been through there a number of times like on trips, and we always would spend the night there. Or even just driving through every single trip, there have been severe thunderstorms, tornadoes, giant hail. Like my grandparents' camper got pummeled by hail. Um, there's a tornado within two miles of our campground twice. Different campgrounds. Um, I went through there five years ago, four years ago, and just driving. And we were having to outrun a tornado like on I-40. It was, I don't want to live there. Dude, there's, so this is, this is no BS. We, uh, not the last time that I drove through the Texas, it might have been the last time actually, uh, on my way, because we drive through there on, my, on our, like when we go to Colorado. Right. We'd, we'd take that way and we drive through the, the panhandle and we turn north in Amarillo Mm-hmm. And drive up to uh, Raton Pass mm-hmm. and pick mm-hmm. up on uh, what, 25. Yeah. Um, anyway, we were driving through, and like it's clear skies, like sunny day. You can see some clouds kind of off, you know, in front of us. But, you know, well, we, as these clouds get closer, um, it looks like it's raining. Well, and we enter, like we, we drive under this cloud, and dude, this hail was like horrible we were in a rental car fortunately so i was like whatever we're gonna keep going but like this i mean it was terrible hail and we just like keep powering through and for like 10 minutes we drive through like the worst hail i've ever seen and then it's like there's a line we get out front of that cloud and it's sunny skies again we just keep going like there's this this hailstorm that was like three miles wide in the middle of the texas panhandle of course it hits you yeah i'm sure i really do i between the two panhandles of texas and oklahoma i think oklahoma's panhandle is prettier yeah like those rolling hills yeah it's like it's like the ocean just covered in grass like it's really um kind of beautiful in a way yeah and and so I'd like to go out to Black Mesa and go camping out there, which is the highest point in Oklahoma. I've hiked to the highest point in Texas. I'd like to do it in Oklahoma as well. Let's go to Guyman. We'll take the pot on the road. Uh, that'd be great. Um, we'll, we'll, go to, we'll go to Guyman. Of... We'll, have a, we'll have a live pot in Guyman, and then uh, we'll go hike. Right. Uh, a podcast. We need some kind of catchy name for this. Is it Black, Black Mesa there, right? Mm-hmm. The Mesa cast? No, that's bad. That's not terrible. Mesa cast. Mesa cast. We can think about this some more. So a few of the recurring revenue options that the Oklahoma Policy Institute has put out there. Uh, one is just a surcharge on high incomes. So like incomes over 200000 for a, uh, like basically tax them at a higher rate. Have they said what rate they want? Uh, 7%. Uh, no, 6% on incomes over 200000 um, which is household income. Um, and 7% on those that are a household income of 400000 Yeah. Um, and that would only affect 3% of households in Oklahoma. So the top 3% of Oklahoma would pay a little bit more. Traditionally, our high rate is 6.25, I think, right? Like, I think that's what it was before we, like that. before we started, you know, slashing and burning right. in the mid-2000s, mid yeah. mid-90s. So that would net somewhere around $200 million. Um, they could end the capital gains exemption. I think this one also is um, is getting some traction. This one, like, this one pisses me off because, like... Not because I have capital gains that are going to be taxed, but because it makes so much sense, right? Like the 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 um, study group 
that was hired, like the company that was hired to do the data analysis on this and see if it is making the state any money, found that it has cost us estimated, it has cost us an estimated $478 million as a state and netted $9 million in tax revenue, right? Like, like it's like, it's costing about a hundred million a year for negligible, if any gain, and the committee voted to leave it in place. Like it just, it just makes no, like, it's so easy. Like why, like, why would you do that? People ask like, you know, why, why do people think, like, why do people think that we're in bed with our donors? Like, why do people think that we're, we're trying to look out for the middle class? We're trying to look out, like. The middle this, class doesn't own stocks. Right. This is like, like this, like that's a cartoon, right? Like that's like people, like that's like, that is the caricature mm-hmm. of what these people do and they're, and they're doing it. And there's um, some opinion that it might violate the commerce clause of the United States constitution. Well, I'm not a con law attorney, um, but it's interesting. Anyway, so that would bring in about a hundred million as well. A um, few things: cigarette tax, of course, uh, the fuel tax, of course. I mean, those are things already being discussed. But those those two um, would require a, a bigger push, a bigger number of votes. Right. Ending the other things, if you're ending an exemption, that's 51 votes. That's 51 man. votes. Um, and assuming all assuming all the Dems vote for it, that's 28. So. I mean, really, you need you need twenty three you need twenty right. twenty three of the what seventy four yeah. Republicans um, to do that. Yeah, so there's that. They could, and this is something that Governor Fallon proposed, and that's expanding the tax base and taxing services, not just products like a sales tax. And of course, people are like, you don't want you want to tax my haircuts, you want to tax my doctor's bills. Well, no, you can pick which ones. Right. But they're like uh, fur storage. If you've got a mink coat, you, you store, you pay them to store it. Maybe we should tax that because that seems like a luxury that not everyone needs. It's okay to tax a little bit. Sure. Um, like, and then and then there's like what uh, private private jet rental, right? Like, yeah. I mean, there's lots of services out there that most folks aren't utilizing and the folks that are using it can afford to pay a few extra bucks which i mean now there's to this is not me arguing it's kind of devil's advocate i think that there is you know the argument is that is well just because someone can afford to pay a tax does that mean you should levy it right Uh, right like right like like does the fact that someone can afford to pay a tax does that mean they deserve to pay that tax that's a fair point that's a good argument i think it depends on what the tax is and how bad your hole is, you know, and I mean, and, and I, I think there's definitely a really strong, I think there's a really strong arguments make on income, right? Like I think for like I think a pro- progressive income tax system, I think absolutely makes a lot of sense. I I don't know, I don't know that you do both. You know what I mean? I mean, I don't know. Maybe 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 you do. I don't well, know. Well, in the income tax issue is what got us into this mess in the first place, right? Right. right. And so there was the tax rate was whatever it was and then if the economy grew there was a trigger that's not there now but it was it said if the economy grew by five percent or something then the income tax rate would be cut and that was passed when things were really going pretty great but what happened in 2009 2010 the economy tanked so it was doing terrible and then it started getting better well the trigger wasn't like if we're doing good and it gets better we cut it it was just like if it gets better no matter what but we were doing terrible Things got a little less terrible, and the trigger went into effect, cut right. the rate like twice in a row, and so that just gutted the tax base, um, like the broad income tax base everyone pays. Which, by the way, if you're listening to this, um, and 
if you're listening to this and the federal tax bill that's being debated in the Senate right now hasn't passed yet, this is what they're wanting to do at a federal level as well. Right. So if you feel, and again, I want to be very clear. Here at Let's Fix This and Let's Pod This, we are a nonpartisan, nonprofit 501c3 organization. So I'm not advocating for you. I'm not advocating a position. But if you feel like where we are in Oklahoma has not worked out well, and you don't feel like that's a good idea to do at the federal level either, you could call Senator Langford and Senator Enhoff and express that opinion. And send an email and maybe a maybe a written letter. Or yeah, whatever sure. You can. If, on the other hand, you feel like we're in a great position in Oklahoma and it's been just you know gangbusters, and you want to see us take this take this show to the uh, take this show national, you can call them and let them know that as well. It's a long way to the top when you want to rock and roll. But, but, but you know what I mean? I think, like, I think to me the argument against, like, kind of, like, the, the, the luxury services tax is that, on the one hand, does it bring in more revenue? Yes. Can people using those services afford to pay the tax? Yes. However, it's a really small number of people. It wouldn't bring in that much revenue. And it, I think, may kind of piss off some people. That if you are a politician on either side of the aisle, you may need in your camp when it kind of comes time to do some hard things. Right. And I don't know the numbers on how much that would bring in, but I think that, I mean, just by restoring the income tax to what it was right. 10 years ago would, would go a long way to helping things. It would right. require everyone at all right. income levels to pay a little bit more. Right. For most people, like most middle income, low income Right. It would only be like fifty or sixty bucks a year. Right. And at two hundred you know, at two hundred, two hundred fifty, three hundred thousand, I wanna say it's like fifteen hundred bucks. Right. Or something. Right. And so Which is which is you know, I mean I'm not trying to minimize the amount of like I'm not trying to minimize fifteen hundred dollars, but if you make two hundred and fifty thousand dollars a year, like that's a hit you should be able to take, I feel like. Right. Or it's not gonna be such a large percentage of your income. Right. You may not hopefully. Right. Maybe you saved a little bit and you can make it through. And also it's divided out, so it's like a hundred bucks a month. Right. So it's like adding another cell phone or something. Right. Um, so, yeah. So there's a lot of options out there. We'll see if any of those get any traction, I think, um, as we move towards special session. I know there are some private businesses that are really pushing the income tax thing. Right. They're pushing that because they don't want right. other corporate taxes to be right. pushed up. But um, and I don't know that their approach is <laughs> the right approach. But I think there's a lot of groups that are looking at different things. So right. we'll, I guess we'll find out. All right. So that's the swag order, right? The anti-swag bill. Oh, right. Are we still talking about that? <laughs> well, we, we, it's not that we're still talking about it, but we got two other executive orders we got to talk about. The other one, and we're not going to spend a lot of time on this one, is uh, basically administrative consolidation for higher education. So this is an order that um, directs the uh, Oklahoma state regents for higher education um, in order to stabilize funding. Um, it just directs that the chancellor, the chancellor for the uh, uh, state regents of higher education, um, shall develop a plan to be presented to the governor for the administrative consolidation of universities, colleges, centers, and branch campuses by December of 2018, and that they'll execute the plan by December of 2019. So, what this is saying is telling the state regents to look at, like you know, the OU system, the Oklahoma State system. Are there satellite campuses that could be brought you know under the larger university umbrella for their administration like for their deans for their provosts those sorts of things you know are there campuses that need to be closed um because those same classes could be offered you know at the main campus or at a larger satellite campus those sorts of things and so this is an attempt to kind of streamline higher education by 
you know, not paying more administrators than we need to. I think it's debatable how much money this is going to save. I think it'll ultimately be negligible, but that's this one. The third executive order, which I think is is the the big one that honestly merits the most discussion, has to do with administrative consolidation for schools. So this is the governor saying that starting in September, starting, not starting, but by September of 2018, the State Board of Education has to compile a list of every public school district that spends less than 60% of their budget on instruction. And um, basically looking at those schools that are spending less than 60% on, uh, of those dis- schools and districts that are spending less than 60% uh, of their total budget on instruction, can we consolidate those schools or consolidate those districts in a way that will save money? specifically saying we want to save money on on administrative costs there's and and so this kind of there's a couple of definitions to talk about here there's one school consolidation so school consolidation is saying there's school a there's school b each one of them serve 300 students they live they're fairly close together we don't really need two schools to serve this population we're going to close school a move all the students students to school b and save some money That's school consolidation, okay? Mm -hmm. Separate from that, there's administrative consolidation. Administrative consolidation is saying, okay, there's school district A and school district B, and maybe they're close together, and school district A has 1,000 students, school district B has 1,000 students, and while we don't need to close any schools in those those individual districts, do there really need to be two separate districts, or could we combine them into one with one superintendent, one, you know, board, you know, one bus system, one maintenance system, all those sorts of things, and save money by spreading those administrative services out over more than one district. This has been a favorite target for folks in the legislature for at least the last 10 years. Oklahoma traditionally has a pretty large number of school districts compared to other states in the union, particularly given the number of Uh, counties we have and our population. And there's a lot of reasons for that, not least of which is that we're an agricultural state that have communities that are pretty spread out and communities like to have their own school districts. So even though we only have 99 counties, 77 counties, we have a lot of school districts. I think like 500 and something right now. Yeah. Um, And this from, I think Ben Felder at the Oklahoma had done this report that something like more than 500, I think it's like 571 um, school districts, and more than 500 of them don't meet that 60% threshold. Right. It's right. also, fun fact, the way that um, the way that school districts were originally formed in Oklahoma, have we discussed this already? Uh, yeah, I think you and I have, but we've not discussed it on the pod. It was, from what I've been told, it was by how far you could ride a horse in a day. So, because you have sure. to ride ride to the school and ride home at night. Sure. And so we just kind of kept it with that. Certainly, some districts have consolidated. Oklahoma City is huge. Tulsa is huge. Um, but a lot of these districts are just a small town because there's nothing in between. Right? right. And I, my my take on this is that it it's not about consolidating the buildings necessarily as much as it is the administrative cost. And there is there is some cost associated with operating a building, right? But in many communities this school is it's like one school for k through 12 and it's right. the the only it's the community center it's right, the it's only the thing building, right like right. if there's anything that happens in this town right it happens at the school right every everything happens there and so it's used for more than just a school 
Um, and in many of the districts, they, you know, like the school has a principal and a superintendent, but often it's the same person. Like, and you can, you know, maybe the, their salary should change. You can, there's that argument there. But I think that overall it doesn't, it's again, much like the swag, it's not going to find the kind of savings we need. It is a bone to those that are concerned about pinching every penny, which right. and fine, maybe we need to. But it's, I think if they eliminated like every superintendent, we'd save like. Oh, I've got the numbers. Okay, go for it. Yeah. Now, you can, you can get at this by doing some fairly straightforward math. I want to emphasize, I didn't do that math. <laughs> I let the good folks at Oklahoma Policy Institute do it for me because they do it a lot more and they're way better. And they uh, publish their results free of charge to the public because they're a nonprofit. God bless you, OK Policy. Um, so the the most recent year for which we have complete data is fiscal year 2000, 2015. So in fiscal year 2015, school district administration in Oklahoma um, av- accounted for $237 per student, okay? That's 3% of total school spending. 3% of total that's school spending, okay? Tiny. Right? And, and and not only is it tiny, it's not like that's above average for the United States. That's 25th out of 50 in the U.S., okay? So could we spend a little bit less? Sure, but there are plenty of places that spend more, okay? Now, let's say, all right, well, just like, just like Andy just said, okay? Man, every penny, like, counts. We need to... Right, we need we need to pinch wherever we can. Okay, do you know right right now if we? I'm the best way to say this. Right now, Oklahoma ranks 47th in per student spending. Okay, 47 out of the uh, 50 states in the in the U.S. And we are the state that cut education spending by the most. That report came out this week by a lot more than the next state, like nice. a substantial amount. Do you know that if we reduced our administrative costs to zero? Right. So if we took all of that two hundred thirty-seven dollars per student and we moved it all to instruction, do you know where that would change our ranking? Like how far we'd move up from forty-seven? Forty-fifth. No, we'd stay at forty-seven. <laughs> it wouldn't even move us. That's bananas. Right. Like 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 it's just like fine. We can save a little bit of money, but it's not enough. That's going to make us like all these people that are out there saying by you know administrative consolidation and school consolidation that like that's somehow going to like that's that's going to bring in all that we need to pay for a teacher pay raise like it's just not true like that's not going to happen like that like that's not like and the math is there right and the, by the same token there's folks like OCPA our friends at OCPA Oklahoma Council on Oklahoma Council on Council Public, on public yeah 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 or public affairs yes so they they loved in representative Rogers from uh, Broken Air has done the same thing. They love to say that um, school funding isn't actually down. Like when you when you hear that it's down, like that's just all BS. And they like have all this charts and fancy graphs that say that school spending is an all time high. The only way that you can look at school spending in Oklahoma and say that it's at an all time high is if you include the following: families paying for school activities, paying for athletics, paying for lunches booster clubs and other district fundraising, tuition and fees for extracurricular programs, municipal and county taxes and bond issues, state funding for the general operations and employee health benefits. The list goes on and on. The only way like that you can say our, our per-people funding is at an all-time high is if you include money from all these other sources that have nothing to do with actually like paying for education. Like It's just, it's just not true. Mm-hmm. That's, I think it's such an interesting... It's it's one of those issues that on the surface I totally get why people think it's going to be a 
it's this is how we're gonna find it like it because it feels like maybe there's lots of waste there it seems like oh there's well, there's only 77 counties or 500 districts this must be it clearly there's where's all the money going um, and the truth is it's been cut right. year after year for 10 years we've cut more in the last year than any other state I think we cut more than the next two states combined right and this gets it kind of like one of the fundamental philosophical agreements that we have between the left and the right at this at this point in time which is the idea that for some reason government is an inherent is inherently wasteful mm-hmm. and the private sector is not mm-hmm. and and the argument that I make in response to that is the same people who work in government are the same people who work like the people who work in government are the same people who work in private sector mm-hmm. right like we're all humans we all have inclinations we're all subject to temptation we're all subject to doing good things like this idea that there's something about government that makes it wasteful I just fundamentally disagree with but I think I think that that's the perspective that some of our leaders have and so they see this I like well man we have more school districts than we should so we must be just wasting a ton of money on administration even when the facts don't bear that out mm-hmm. yeah I'm curious to see how it goes I mean maybe this is the bone that some of the the more conservative members need in order to change their mind or to vote for something. Like, it may take a little a little wedge, right? Like, just yeah. a little lever to, to make it happen. So Yeah. We shall see. We shall see. You got big plans coming up this weekend? No plans. Nice. No plans. I did just see that the Oklahoman has posted, or no, excuse me, Oklahoma Watch has posted the uh, subpoenas to top um, Governor Fallon, AIDS and OMES, so like Preston Dorflinger, Denise Northrup, Chris Binge. Oh, with the um, uh, Department of Health? Yeah, so yeah. there's subpoenas about that and some other just budget negotiations. There's a House committee that's looking into that, and so um, Paul Money's over at Watch just uh, just posted those. Man, he does a great job. He's a good guy. We need to have him on the pod. Do you think he'd come on the pod? Maybe. I, I like that guy. Him. I'll reach out. Okay, so that brings us to the end of this episode. Remember, you can connect with us on Twitter and Instagram. We're at Let's Fix This Okay. I'm at, at Andy OKC. Scott is at SC Melson. And on Facebook, we are facebook.com slash Let's Fix This Okay. You can subscribe to the pod on the Apple Podcast app, Stitcher, and Google Play, and really wherever you find podcasts. Please be sure to follow, subscribe, and rate us. Um, send us notes, messages, questions. We'd love to respond um, on the next episode. Our podcast is edited and produced by Scott and me, and Let's Pod This is a member of the Mostly Harmless Media Network. Theme music is provided by the Sugar Free All Stars. Let's Fix This is a nonpartisan, nonprofit organization who strives to educate and equip all Oklahomans to engage with the government. We encourage you to get involved in any way that you can, and remember decisions are made by those who show up. Thank you.